Hi, I'm Harry, and welcome to episode three of my podcast. In previous episodes, we've explored the epic journey of the Elgin Marbles and their place in society today, as well as the tumultuous end to the Soviet Union and the rocky beginning of the Russian state, with its troublesome economics and the rise of the oligarchs. But today, we will be discussing the excellent game of Mahjong. Mahjong is a tile-based game that was developed in 19th century China and has spread throughout the world since the early 20th century. It is played by four players and is a game of skill, strategy and luck. The 144 tiles in the game are based on Chinese characters and symbols. Each player begins by receiving 13 tiles and in turn, players draw and discard tiles until they complete a legal hand using the 14th drawn tile to form four sets and a pair. The existence of winds, dragons and seasons in the game add an extra speciality, with a player receiving a set of certain combinations getting one or more doubles to their points at the end of the game. I speak from personal experience of playing the game with my family that it is both exhilarating and stressful, especially when you see the player next to you slowly gathering a few doubles to add to their score. But playing this game at home in England, all the way across the world from China, made me wonder, how has this unique game from 19th century China reached my family and I in the 21st century? in a completely different land. Stay tuned to hear all about the history of Mahjong and how it has developed to become a global phenomenon. Mahjong was developed in southern China in the mid-1800s towards the end of the Qing Dynasty as one of the many male-dominated gambling games of the time. In southern Chinese dialects, the term mahjong is derived from the word for sparrow, and this alludes to the bird-like clacking noise produced by the tiles when they are being shuffled. Tile games of some form have been found from around 1120 AD in China, and Chinese dominoes have been played for centuries in that region. Mahjong, however, bears a much greater resemblance in play to certain card games, namely those of the Rummy family. Before Mahjong emerged, various card games were popular in China, featuring a minimum of four types of card decks. Similar to Mahjong, most of these games involved collecting sets, and certain terminology from these earlier card games has been integrated into Mahjong. Therefore, it is not unreasonable to consider Mahjong as a relative or descendant of those traditional card games. Nevertheless, the game that originated in this Chinese region had an initially unrefined nature. In 1905, Mahjong was relatively obscure beyond its local surroundings. However, within the next 15 years, it experienced an astonishingly rapid spread across most of China, surpassing even chess as the most popular game in the country. The Chinese took steps to refine the gameplay, gradually eliminating its rough edges. They introduced a multitude of rituals associated with the gameplay, many of which have now become firmly established traditions. These rituals primarily occur at the beginning of the game and involve aspects such as shuffling, constructing the four walls in a square formation, dealing the tiles, and splitting the wall to create the Kong box. 
While these rituals may appear perplexing and unnecessary to novices, it's essential to recognise that Mahjong, originating as a gambling game, incorporates these elements to effectively deter cheating, a crucial consideration when the stakes are so high. The incremental refinements made between 1910 and 1920 resulted in a Mahjong game characterised by both mathematical beauty and visual aesthetics. Some authors extensively romanticised the mystical and harmonious background of this evolutionary process and its ultimate outcome. Many enthusiasts of the game consider the Mahjong variant from around 1920 as the perfect iteration, expressing strong disapproval towards subsequent modifications and developments. During this period, the Chinese engaged in a myriad of rule variations and procedures, influenced by local customs and the level of seriousness attached to the game. The Chinese Mahjong of the 1920s was, in reality, unregulated and diverse, differing across regions. Despite this lack of standardization, the game was crafted with a natural emphasis on playability and elegance. And then, during the early 1920s, American businessman Joseph P. Babcock introduced Mahjong to the United States. The game swiftly became an enormous national fad, referred to as the Game of a Hundred Intelligences and the Gift of Heaven. The initial shipments of imported Mahjong sets rapidly sold out at Abercrombie & Fitch in New York City. Mahjong gained significant popularity, especially among affluent society matrons. These women were drawn to the feminine exoticism associated with the game, which involved dressing up in Chinese costumes and incorporating Chinese terminology during play. What's ironic is that this surge in popularity occurred during a time of heightened anti-immigrant sentiment, leading to increased restrictions against people of Asian descent. In 1924, the Johnson Reed Act further cemented anti-Asian immigration restrictions and exclusions. Despite being an explicitly Chinese game, Mahjong became a cultural phenomenon during a period marked by discriminatory attitudes. During World War II, the game even earned the derogatory nickname, the New Yellow Peril. What sustained the racial tension and the fervor surrounding the Mahjong craze was the misleading marketing portraying Mahjong as a game with ancient origins, supposedly played by members of the ancient Chinese court thousands of years ago. There was even a debunked theory suggesting that Confucius, China's most famous teacher, philosopher, and political theorist, created the game. This false historical narrative contributed to the exotic allure of Mahjong, reinforcing its perceived authenticity and adding to the mystique that surrounded it during the period of its intense popularity. By creating this origin myth which became really widespread and lasting about the game, marketers separated it from contemporary Chinese immigrants and elevated it in terms of class and status. But what makes the story of Mahjong especially interesting is the biggest story it tells about the making of modern American culture. It did indeed have that big an impact. Originally, the game was a way for people to help themselves transition into a new self-consciously modern era due to its association with Asia and Confucius, as mentioned earlier. In the late 1930s, a group of Jewish women, led by Dorothy Meerson, took the initiative to standardize and simplify Mahjong. 
Dorothy Mazin had already been promoting her own modified version of the game, which she referred to as a streamlined version. The group convened in New York City and established the National Mahjong League in 1937. Initially not meant to be specifically associated with Jewish women, the game nevertheless gained traction within Jewish women's networks and became intertwined with specific leisure landscapes, particularly those fostered by Jewish Americans, notably in the post-World War II era, especially in the Catskills, the mountain belt in New York State. The Mahjong's standardization and its subsequent popularity played a unique role in the 1950s, a period marked by rapid suburbanization and upward mobility in middle-class households. In this context, Jewish Americans found a new way to access the middle class across generations. Highly educated women, often stepping back from the workforce and experiencing young motherhood, began sharing the Mahjong experience regularly in suburban households. This practice evolved into a powerful social tradition, weaving through households on a weekly basis. Eventually, it not only served as a strong social bond, but also took on the role of an ethnic marker, particularly within the Jewish American community. The global appeal of Mahjong extends beyond American culture, and that part of its ability to foster diverse and vibrant gaming communities worldwide lies in the rhythm of the game itself. Between each round, there's a pause for shuffling or washing the tiles, providing just the right amount of time for casual conversation. This tempo is ideal for forming new connections. In situations where you may be in a new community or bridging generational gaps, engaging in profound heart-to-heart -heart conversations may not always be feasible or desired. However, the brief conversations during these rhythmic pauses, especially when playing regularly with the same group, can gradually lead to the development of remarkably deep and enduring relationships over time. Whether individuals play Mahjong as a means to re-establish ties with their heritage or merely to connect with others, the game inherently fosters social interaction and brings people together. With a history that spans decades, centuries and the rise and fall of dynasties, Mahjong has endured. Its enduring nature suggests that the game will persist in building communities for generations to come. Thank you so much for listening to episode 3 of my podcast. I hope that what I've learned through my research and findings has an impact on you. To end the episode, I should say that I highly recommend this 4-player game. It is sociable and intuitive, as well as loud and chaotic. There is more to come in the next few weeks, so please do stay tuned.